You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. But today we're going to talk about being devoted to Jesus. Disciples are people who follow Jesus. They're changed by Jesus. They're committed to his mission. And because of this, it's important that we know Jesus, that we believe in Jesus, and that we want to tell everyone about him. If Jesus is who he says he is, which he is, then he is the only one worthy of total devotion and surrender. Amen? Back in the 1920s, there was a preacher who penned these words. His name was James Francis, and he wrote these words. You've probably heard it before, but he said about Jesus, he was born in an obscure village. He was the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that are usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was 33 when his friends abandoned him. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves while dying. Those executing him gambled for his clothing, which was the only property that he had on this earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries, James says, have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race the leader of mankind's progress. All of the armies that have ever marched, all of the navies that have ever sailed, all of the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put them all together. They haven't affected the life of man on earth as powerfully as one solitary man. Amen? And if we want to be true disciples of this man and we want to make disciples who then make disciples, then there is few things, there are few things that are more important to our faith than putting our faith in Jesus and what we teach about him and what we believe about him. And so I want to try to accomplish some of those foundational beliefs that we have about him. First John 5, 10 through 13, John writes this. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son, Jesus. Whoever, verse 12, has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. From these verses, we see how important it is for us to understand who Jesus is and to put our faith in him. Eternal life is in Christ and Christ alone. And whoever has the Son has life. But unfortunately, over the last several hundred years, many people have propagated and tried to sell misunderstandings about this man, Jesus. And we haven't allowed Jesus to be who he is or who he said he was or would be. Instead, we have made him out to be who we want him to be. And it's time to wake up and repent of that. Kevin DeYoung wrote a blog that was incredibly widely read, posted on the internet and on Facebook. He listed 15 different ways that he saw Jesus being presented today. And he said, these are false views about Jesus. I'm not going to go through all 15 of them, 
If you're interested in the blog, I can send it to you. But here are a few that I thought were tough and really important for our culture to understand, that these are false views of who Jesus is. DeYoung uh, writes this. The first one he says is, there's therapist Jesus. This is the Jesus who helps you to cope with all of your life's problems. He promises to heal your past. He tells you how great you are, how valuable you are, and just don't be so hard on yourself. Jesus as our therapist. And then there's Starbucks Jesus. This is my favorite one. Uh, He drinks fair trade coffee. He likes spiritual conversation. He drives a hybrid car, goes to film festivals. Um, that's Starbucks Jesus. Then there's the open-minded Jesus. This is the Jesus who loves everybody all the time, no matter what, except he does not love people that are not as open-minded as you are. Then there's touchdown Jesus. This is the one that helps athletes run faster and jump higher than the non-Christians, and he helps to determine the outcomes of Super Bowls. It's okay to laugh. These aren't real. Um, Then there's gentle Jesus, who was meek and mild, with high cheekbones, flowing hair, always holding a little baby lamb, walking around barefoot, wearing a sash, looks German. Um, (laughs) This this is a great blog. Um, Then there's Guru Jesus. This is the wise, inspirational teacher. He's on talk shows all the time. He believes in you, and he helps you want to find a better version of yourself. But then Kevin DeYoung writes, there's Jesus the Christ, the son of a living God, the living God, who was not another prophet. He is not another rabbi. He is not another wonder worker. He is the one that we have been waiting for, the son of David, Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from our captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, Give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And from that list that I read, we can laugh and we can speculate and we can see how easy it is to remake Jesus in a way that serves us and serves our needs rather than our understanding of who he really is and follow him for who he really is, our Lord and our Savior. Come on. That's who he is. And if we want to help people to trust and follow him, then we need to be sure that we're pointing them to him. Not to touchdown Jesus or guru Jesus or therapist Jesus or open-minded Jesus, but to Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's not one sermon I can give that can communicate all of these things, but I want to touch on a few of them. If you're a note-taker, the first thing I want you to know about Jesus the Christ is that he is fully human and fully God. We're going to point people and be devoted to the true one Jesus. Then we have to know him and we have to understand that somehow he's 100% human and 100% divine. It's a mystery. I can't explain it. The eternal son of God came down as a human. Jesus, born to a young Jewish woman, was raised in a small town in Israel. Fully God, fully man. The Bible indicates that he was self-limited in some ways during his time on earth. He was allowed to experience weaknesses that we all experience. Fear, loneliness, frustration, fatigue, temptation, physical pain. He experienced those things. But the Bible makes it clear that despite these self-limitations, he was fully God and fully human. And as God, he could know our thoughts. 
He could display incredible power over the physical world and the spiritual world, and he can forgive our sins. When John wrote the gospel, he told us at the beginning the identity and origin of Jesus. John 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14 where he tells us, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father that has made him known. From these verses, we see the incarnation of God, Jesus, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that in him is light and life, and that reveals God to us. The author in Hebrews reminds us of this same thing. In chapter 1, in the past, he says, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven. Later in chapter 2, the author says that since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of heaven and death. That is the devil. Listen, the devil has the power of death, but Jesus has the power of life. Amen? That Jesus came to break us free from bondage and free those, in verse 15, all who are lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For it is surely, it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's us. For this reason, he had to be made like them, Jesus made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and a high, a faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, my friends, is fully God and fully man. And the passages that we just read remind us of Jesus' divinity, of his position, but explain why he came and took on flesh, so that he could understand us. And so while he's not our therapist, he does understand us. While he's not a guru telling you to be a better version of yourself, he's telling you to be a better version of who God made you to be. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and this impacts our discipleship because as our Lord, Jesus is worthy. He's the only one worthy and also the only one qualified to be our Lord. He can identify with us and he can minister to us. Since he was human and divine, we can imitate him, right? We can look at how he lived and lived like that because he was fully man. And we can't overemphasize one or the other. If we fail to understand that these are both true, then we fail to present Jesus accurately. The second thing we need to understand outside of that he's fully God and fully man, uh, if you're a note taker, is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Messiah. Many of us, when we talk about Jesus, we might say, uh, Jesus Christ, we identify him as Jesus Christ. But we have to understand that Jesus Christ, 
Christ isn't his last name, right? That's not his first name and his last name. In the first century, we often would identify people by where they were from or who their father was. So often you would hear people say, Jesus from Nazareth. If you read the Bible, they're identifying Jesus from Nazareth. Um, or you might have heard people refer to him as Jesus, the son of Joseph, which was his earthly father. And so there's that way that they would identify him. Another way they would do it in the first century was by their profession or their title, right? John the baptizer, right? Jesus the Christ. And this is where Christ comes in as a title or a position. Christ or Messiah are synonyms that you can interchange with, with each other. And what we understand about this, when we say Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, it's the title that we're giving him. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That he is our Savior. Matthew 1, verse 21 and 22, responding uh, about the birth of Jesus. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The key here in understanding that Jesus is our Messiah is to see how God's relationship from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, every book of the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus was not God's plan B. He was not, we did not mess something up to where God was like, oh, I'm surprised. What should I do? I'll send Jesus. From Genesis all the way to the end, it's been about him coming and being the Messiah for his people. And as disciples of Jesus, who are make, making disciples, we need to understand and embrace that God's story answers all of our questions. We don't need guru Jesus or therapy Jesus because we have King Jesus who's found in the scriptures. And we have all we need in Christ. The answer to everything that we need is found in him. His identity and his mission is old and it's complex and it's from Genesis to Revelation. And it's wonderful how powerful he is that he can save us from our sins. As fully God and fully man, Jesus is also our Messiah. The third thing that he is is our Lord. Those are different. Messiah speaks to the rescue. We all like that, don't we? We all like that he came for our sins. But Acts 2.36 reminds us, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's Messiah, but he's also Lord. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 8, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, that's fun, and lords, too, um, yet for us, is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. There's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God, uh, Jesus, cannot just be Lord of Sunday. He has to be Lord of Monday. He can't just be Lord of our spiritual thoughts. He's got to be Lord of our uh, emotions. He's got to be the Lord of our entertainment choices. He's got to be Lord of the sexuality that we choose. He's got to be Lord of the movies that we watch, the music that we listen to, the Lord of the way we treat our wife, Lord of the way we raise our kids. Amen? Lord of our addiction, Lord of our anxiety, Lord over our depression. He's Lord of all. 
It doesn't mean that everything just goes away. He's not a therapist that just heals everything you go through. But it does mean that he's king and he has the authority over every single one of those things. He's Lord. He's our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord. And there must be only one of those. We like the idea of him saving us, but we don't like the idea of him telling us what to do. We want the benefits of being saved, but we don't want the restrictions and the guidelines of having a king. But what we don't realize is you can't have both. Like, you can't have one or the other. You have to have both. You can't just have the one who saves you and not have the one that asks you to obey him. Those of us who know Jesus as both Savior and Lord know that lordship means he is our authority, and it's not a burden, it's a blessing. Listen, that's what everybody wants to tell you. I can't follow Jesus. It's too many rules, too many regulations. It's not a burden. Like, Jesus is not a burden. In fact, in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're tired, go to Jesus. If you're overwhelmed by addiction or anxiety, go to Jesus. If you're overwhelmed by your family problems, if you're overwhelmed by your financial crisis, if you're overwhelmed by the political climate in our world, by what you're reading on Facebook, stop reading the comments and posting and go to Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. He doesn't promise that you won't be tired. He promises that you will have rest in your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is our Lord, and it's a blessing, not a burden. The next thing is that his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, is our message and our hope. The word gospel, we know, means the good news. As we are missionaries and disciples, it's our job to live lifestyles and a mission that takes the good news to the world. And the good news of Jesus is that he overcame the curse and our sin, through his life and his death and the resurrection and him enthroned at the right hand of God, what Jesus has done in his life is the reason that our sins can be forgiven and that we can have a right relationship with him. Jesus promised then to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit at our baptism, marking our adoption into God's family, and then he empowers us to be disciples and ministers. 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. What I received I passed on to you. It's of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at the same time, most of those who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Jesus and his work on the cross are the basis of our right standing with God. There's nothing more important than that. His message, his gospel, the good news of Jesus is the most important thing. It focuses us on Christ and what he did for our sins. But it doesn't stop at his death or his burial or his resurrection or his appearance. Through the gospel, we're saved by faith. It's his gift to us. Amen? And it's our job to take that to the earth. Ephesians 2, because of the great love for us, God, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he says, it is by grace that you have been saved. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works that God prepared for us to do.
It's the one who is rich in mercy, who has great love for you and for me, God, who displays the riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. It's God who gives us grace, not as a gift, or as a gift, not as a reward for what we've done. God's part is grace, and our part is faith. God doesn't accept us because we're good people or because we do the right things. Rather, he offers us forgiveness, and we receive it as we put our lives and our faith and all of our hope in his son, Jesus I was talking to Amanda about how I, I always tell people, like, listen, you're still going to mess up. You're still going to make mistakes. And what most people are going to say is it doesn't change anything. But I'm telling you that choosing Jesus changes everything. Because it's not what we did. It's not what we experienced today. It's God's grace in the baptism, her faith, our faith when we come to him that allows us to continue to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus, becoming more like him. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but he gives it to us. So why wouldn't we take it? Why wouldn't we surrender our lives to the one who gave everything for us? Disciples learn every day to receive grace and to fellowship with God and to depend on his spirit. We learn how to share God's grace with other people and we tell other people about the gospel. And so we must be devoted to Jesus. Are you devoted to Jesus? He's everything. Our lives must be all about him. Our sole purpose is to proclaim him, follow him, and draw people to him. Listen, I love meeting here on Sunday, but if this is the only time that we're telling people about the hope of Jesus, we are missing out. Every single interaction that we have should be seasoned with grace and truth. Everyone we talk to, we should be figuring out how we can be praying for. Like, like we should all repent. I should, like, we've got work to do, my friends. The life, the double standard that we so often see when we walk out of here and it's like, well, I'll go back on Sunday when Monday we should be gospel focused and Tuesday we should be gospel focused because Jesus isn't just Lord of Sunday. He's Lord of Monday. And when we say today is the Lord's day, it's really not. Every day belongs to the Lord and the Lord's day is when he comes again. That's his day. And that's when we better be sure that we belong to him. I love the story about Lloyd Douglas he was an author, and he tells this story about living in a boarding house, and just downstairs from where he lived, there was this really old, retired music teacher, and he was stuck at home. He couldn't leave, and Douglas had this routine. Every morning, he would go down and visit this retired uh, music teacher, and they did the same thing every single day. Douglas would come downstairs. He would open the door, and he'd say, what's the good news, sir? <clears throat> And the old man would pick up his tuning fork, he'd bang it on the side of his wheelchair, and he'd say, that, my friend, is middle C. It was middle C yesterday, it'll be middle C tomorrow, and it'll be middle C in a thousand years. The tenor upstairs, they're singing flat, the piano across the hall is out of tune, but my friends, that is middle C. The old man had discovered one thing upon which he could depend one constant reality in his life, one still point in a world that was constantly changing. And that was middle C was always middle C. Listen, we live in a world that is singing flat and the piano across the street is out of tune and the Facebook post from this pastor is not accurate and the Facebook post from this politician is wrong and it's always changing and it's always moving but we have a middle C his name is Jesus. That, my friends, was true yesterday. It's true today, and it'll be true in a thousand years. That Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he is the only one worthy of being 
our Lord, of having all authority in our lives. He is our Messiah. He is the only one who saves. And I say that with absolute certainty because I love you and I want you to know there is no other way under heaven whereby man can be saved from their sins. There's only one who can forgive sins, and that's Jesus. And he is the good news. He was the good news a thousand years ago. He is the good news today, and he'll be the good news tomorrow. We have one song that we need to learn, and we need to sing it everywhere we go, right? Jesus is our answer. He's our hope. He's our living hope. Um, he's our firm foundation, and he's not changing, and he's not wavering. Hebrews 13 reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to close by asking two questions. Write these down. Talk about them at home. Pray about them. Think about them. Question number one is, if you are already a disciple of Jesus, how faithfully are you carrying out your devotion to him? If you're already following him, if you would already say, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me, how faithful are you in this? Um, when I worked for Youth for Christ, I said this all the time, and I need to say this all the time because I'm not real smart, but how good would you guys think my marriage was if I spent one hour with my wife every Sunday? And I said, you know, I'm going to give you one hour. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to look at each other. We're going to talk to each other. We'll sing songs about each other. Um, I'll read you a couple of things I wrote about you this week. I'll, I'll introduce you to some other people that I know. And then I never talked to her, never sang to her, never prayed with her, never went out to eat with her, didn't hang out with our children. No one in here would be like, that's a really great marriage. But Jesus is our bride. <laughs> like, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride. Edit. We're the bride. Rewind. That's us. But we do that. Like real talk for a minute. That's what we do. That's, that's American Christianity. The question we ask isn't, do you follow Jesus? It's where do you go to church? Who cares? Who really cares where you go to church? Do you follow Jesus is a better question. And how faithful and how faithfully are you doing it? Um, because no one would be satisfied with that kind of relationship in their marriage. So why would we be satisfied with that kind of relationship with our king who died for us? And Jesus said, this is how you can know is that greater love, there is no greater love than one who would lay down their life for their friend, that, that would give everything for someone else. But we are so we, we need to repent of our faithfulness to Jesus. And it needs to be everything. It needs to consume us. He needs to be the very thing that we talk about all the time, the very one that we want to please all of the time, the very one who we build our lives around needs to be Jesus. So if you're already following him, how faithfully are you carrying that, that out? Number two, if you're not following Jesus, would you consider doing it? Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Are you ready to uh, surrender to grace, to receive forgiveness, to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Um, and don't do it because you want to be like us. Do it because you want to be like Jesus. Because I'm so tired of people going, 
Why would I be like them? They're a bunch of hypocrites. We know that I know, but I want you to follow Christ. I know that I'm going to let you down. I know that I'm not going to do everything perfectly, but I can tell you about Jesus who loves you, who died for you, wants to have a relationship with you. And until you make that decision, you will never know true life and freedom unless you have the one who came to break the bondage of sin. The one who came to break the power of the devil, to set prisoners free, to break uh, all of the bondage in our lives, and to give us an eternal hope in Christ. So if you know him, how faithful are you to him? And become more faithful to him. And if you don't know him, would you consider knowing him today? Our elders, our deacons, our ministers, myself, we would love to talk to you more about it. But Jesus didn't die for you to get it all together and come to him. He says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you in the middle of your mess. If you're in a mess right now, I can tell you about the one who will take you and rescue you from it. His name is Jesus. And I would love to talk more about that. On the day of Pentecost, they asked Peter when he preached what they had to do. And Peter didn't say, pray a sinner's prayer. He told him to repent, which means to turn away from the way that they're living and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And so if you want to make that decision today to repent or to be baptized, we want to talk with you and walk with you in that journey. But as disciples of Jesus, we must first be characterized by love and then be devoted to the one true Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, who's fully God, fully man, Lord and Savior, Lord and Messiah, and his good news is the only good news. And so may we be a people that would take that to a lost and dying world.